Welcome back, everybody, to the David Pakman Show. Luke Beasley here, filling in for David while he is away. Let's dive right in. Well, the Tennessee House Republican effort and successful, temporarily, effort to expel two out of three of the Tennessee Three, as they're being called, or the uh, Democratic state lawmakers who protested the inaction of Republicans on the House floor peacefully, and because of their violation of the decorum rules, they were expelled by Republicans in the state of Tennessee, the House of Representatives uh, specifically. And this has backfired epically, not only raising even more attention to the fact that Republicans are unserious about actually solving the issues um, that face Americans or citizens in Tennessee more specifically, and um, of course that applies to gun violence in such a disastrous way. And it's backfired beyond that as well because now one of the individuals they expelled, Justin Jones, has been reinstated to his position as a Tennessee state um, representative. And the way that this works, and then we'll dive into some videos from this and some reporting on it, the Nashville Metropolitan Council is the entity, the legislative body, um, that is responsible whenever a situation like this takes place. A state representative is expelled. The Nashville Metropolitan Council for representatives that um, represent that area is responsible for choosing who's going to be the interim representative. So here, they're choosing Justice, Justin Jones to be the interim for uh, the seat he got expelled from. Um, and then he'll hold that until an election. And if he chooses to run for it, I'm sure he'll be able to actually get back in through that as well. So a complete failure in so many different ways on the part of the Republican Party in Tennessee. Take a look at this from CNN, and then we'll look at some videos from this. After being sworn back into the Tennessee House of Representatives Monday, a lawmaker who was expelled just days ago over a gun control demonstration on the chamber floor says he'll continue to call for gun reform. Quote, the first thing I do when I walk into this building as a representative is to continue that call for common sense gun legislation, Justin Jones said. Jones and another black Democrat, Justin Pearson, were forced out of the Republican-controlled legislature last week after a protest on the chamber floor spurred by the mass shooting last month at a Nashville Christian school that left six people dead. A third Democrat who joined them in the protest, in, in protest, Representative Gloria Johnson, avoided expulsion. And then it notes there the Nashville Metropolitan Council voted 36 to 0 Monday to reappoint Jones to the House of Representatives, um, putting him back into his same previously held position. And I will show you this swearing in here. Let's talk a little bit about Justin Jones, uh, the state representative. He has just, he's just now being sworn in, only moments ago, being sworn in as the new state representative after he was expelled a few days ago because he was protesting uh, in favor of gun reform and they, the Republicans in the state legislature expelled him, but now he's being, he was just voted by the city council there to be reinstated in Nashville, and now he's uh, just been sworn in. A very, very dramatic development indeed. Let's talk. And credit to the uh, Nashville city council for doing this. Um, absolutely correct 
decision there, and then I'll show you a little bit of his remarks out in front of the Tennessee Capitol. Today we're sending a resounding message that democracy will not be killed in the comfort of silence. Today we send a clear message to Speaker Cameron Sexton that the people will not allow his, his crimes against democracy to happen without challenge. The people of Nashville have spoken today through their council members and democracy we stand for the vision of a multiracial democracy. Democracy is our, our is the vision we're offering to this body, this building that has forgotten it. <laughs> and I've talked about this more extensively on my show. You can find that at Luke Beasley on YouTube. But just the way that nothing represents more accurately than what we're watching play out in Nashville, Tennessee, um, the incorrect nature of the ideology of much of the Republican Party, especially when it comes to gun violence and the way that we uh, address gun violence. And while there are multiple fronts in which we need to fight that battle, make sure we're uh, implementing solutions, that is a multifaceted approach, but you can't honestly want to address um, the unique to America problem that we have here with gun violence and ignore the gun control element. Other things too, mental health too, uh, school safety too, all of that and gun control. And so the fact that the focus after this mass shooting by Tennessee Republicans was not to implement those common sense solutions, but instead to focus on expelling members who were calling for those common sense solutions highlights the broken nature of this ideology better than much else for sure and then just to round this out uh here is representative justin jones walking back into the chamber So there it is. Uh, good for the people of Tennessee, Justin Jones, the Nashville City Council. Uh, shame on the Republicans, of course, for causing this whole situation. And uh, we'll see how it continues to play out. Well, before I get to a clip here from MSNBC of Democratic Representative Maxwell Frost talking about a proposal um, a bill, actually, he's introduced to create an Office of Gun Violence Prevention. And uh, great idea, and all around we need more action, specifically by Republicans, um, for them to get on board with common sense solutions to gun violence, decreasing the carnage we experience in America. Before we get to that, though, we have seen yet another devastating mass shooting and this is what is being responded to in the clip i'm about to show you um here from the lexington herald leader a gunman opened fire in a downtown louisville bank monday morning killing at least five people and hospitalizing eight others the louisville metro police department confirms few details have emerged but by, uh, by monday afternoon about the shooter or their victims but emotional governor uh Andy Bashar did say one of the deceased as, oh my gosh, as a very close friend during a news conference. 
While this is Kentucky's first mass shooting of 2023, it's the 146th mass shooting in the U.S. just this year. That's according to the Gun Violence Archive. 146 mass shootings just this year in America. And as I said in the last segment on today's show, it is a multifaceted approach to decrease gun violence to address this problem. But you can't ignore one of the primary components, which is the gun. That is how we are set so far apart from other countries when comparing developed countries, their gun violence, the reality of guns and the regulation. And there's two ways that are clear and present and undeniable. Um, Two ways that we are very different from other developed countries. The first is the amount and how unregulated our guns are. And the second is how much gun balance we have. So you can um, connect the dots there and we don't have to be seeing this type of um, devastation on such a regular basis. Here is Democratic Representative Maxwell Frost uh, talking about his proposal for an Office of Gun Violence Prevention. We need people who are forward-thinking progressive candidates and thinking about ways of how we're going to end gun violence at every level of government. I actually just introduced my first bill, um, which creates a federal office of gun violence prevention, which will help do just that, work with municipal, cities, state governments, and Congress to provide recommendations and give the data that we need to solve this problem holistically. But what we will refuse is politicians who go in front of cameras and say, oh, it's going to happen anyway. There's nothing we can do. If that is what you, if that's the energy you're bringing to this problem, you don't belong in the seat of power. You don't belong in a place where you represent the people because every death is a policy failure. Yeah. Uh, So while it would absolutely be something I'd support to set up an office of gun violence prevention, it also should be noted while there is absolutely complexity to how we go about solving this, in another way, it's simple in terms of what the next step has to be. And the only way, reasonably, realistically, we're going to address and decrease gun violence in the United States is for the Republican Party to change their stance on this. That's just the reality. And so down the road, there are so many fascinating and complex conversations about how we go about generally addressing crime and gun violence, mass shootings, all that. But the next step has to be we implement common sense gun regulation. And what's blocking that? The Republican Party. Next moment uh, from this interview. I think we're going to continue to see that this youth voter turnout will continue to rise. We've seen the past three cycles have had wildly amazing youth voter turnout numbers and we're not done yet you know in 2020 we had the highest youth voter turnout in the history of our country and half of gen z can't even vote yet meanwhile the republican party is focused on changing the voters and you know there's something wrong with your policy party when your path to victory is changing the voters and gerrymandering our maps to hell and that's what's going on right now it's anti-democratic it's not democracy and it's not the freedom and liberty that the party tends to hold up the republican party holds up as their banner 
True patriotism is loving the people in the country. It's not just about the flag. It's about the people in the country. And it's something that this generation, Gen Z and young folks understand. And that's why we're gonna continue to fight. We will vote, but we also will hit the streets and we also will take care of one another. And I think that holistic interpretation of what a movement is, mm -hmm. is part of the reason why Gen and young folks are gonna really build political power quickly in this country. It's using every single tool in our toolbox. So uh, I really do like that line of true patriotism is loving the people in the country. It's not just about the flag, it's about the people in the country. And I think that highlights what we'll see um, from many within the Republican party, this uh, this insistence on focusing on things that are much more symbolic than they are actually impacting people in their day-to-day -day life. And that is why, in large part, they distract with a lot of these what are referred to as culture war issues, things that are uh, vague enough, abstract enough, and symbolic enough where you can get people riled up about it but not actually be held to any standard. It's not a tangible promise that you can be held to. And his example of true patriotism being about the people and not about the flag, it's great to have the flag as a representation of our country and all of that. But when patriotism to you is just symbolic, it's just wearing the flag, it's just um, whatever it might be, your the way you go about uh, saying the Pledge of Allegiance and the hand over heart and all of that. And all of it can be great and wonderful, but let that, let's make sure that's not a replacement for what is actual patriotism, which is fighting for the improvement of the lives of people within the country. And uh, David has recently talked about someone, I think, wrote into the show or called on the show um, and talked about how Republicans are able to kind of co-opt these terms, these positive terms, patriotism, and it is theirs, or even the flag, an American flag being a Republican thing often, which is strange. Um, it's all of our flag, but it, it definitely happens. The branding, the messaging within the Republican Party often is more effective if, even if dishonest. Um, and I think those on the left need to work harder to make sure we don't just allow the conversations to always be on their turf because no, I don't think it's patriotic to spend all your time focusing on your obsession with, you know, your guns and, and flag shirt instead of focusing on protecting children in schools based on common sense solutions. Um, and I don't think it's patriotic to allow so many people to be in poverty in this country and, um, not getting enough and the proper food. And we could list off the racial inequality that we have, the um, rolling back of rights for women that we're seeing, and on and on it goes. That's not patriotic to me. If you really loved your country, you would love the people in it. And if you really loved your country and the people in it, then you would want to solve problems facing those people. Seems pretty clear to me, but Obviously, a lot of people don't buy into that, and it's all about the songs and the flags instead of the people. Much more after this.
Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact based reporting for some much needed clarity in the finance world, helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement, all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you Nerd Wallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. One of our sponsors is Electric e-bikes. I've been watching e-bike reviews on YouTube for a while because I've been thinking of getting one and I continually come across Electric as the brand to go with if your budget is between 800 and 1300 dollars. And I have to agree from experience. I've had my Electric e-bike for a little while now. I've almost ditched my car and regularly bike at this point for errands and things around my neighborhood. It's awesome cardio because I'm still pedaling. I get there faster. I can see more. I'm reducing my carbon footprint. The e-bike came to my doorstep fully assembled. It has a bright LCD screen, seven speed gearing, five levels of pedal assist, a powerful battery that you can take inside to charge. It's also fully foldable. I can put it in the back of my car. Electric has models for every lifestyle and you can finance for as little as 73 bucks a month. Go to electricebikes.com to learn more. Explore all of the incredible e-bike models they offer. That's L E C T R I C ebikes.com. The link is in the podcast notes. Right-wing media figure and founder of Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk has, I guess you would say, been more transparent on his stance on gun violence than other right-wingers are willing to be, clarified what he thinks we should and more importantly shouldn't be, more importantly to him, shouldn't be doing when it comes to gun violence, addressing gun violence with common sense solutions. And as you're about to watch, he thinks the devastation we experience in this country, unique to this country when comparing us to other developed nations is worth it. He thinks it's worth it because of his distorted view of this whole conversation. Take a look. Now we must also be real. We must be honest with the population. Having an armed citizenry comes with a price. Wow. And, and that, that, that is part of liberty. Wow. Driving comes with a price. Yeah. 50,000, 50,000, 50,000 people die on the road every year. Wow. That's a price. You get rid of driving, you'd have 50,000 less auto fatalities. But we have decided that the benefit of driving, speed, accessibility, mobility, having products, services, is worth the cost of 50,000 people dying on the road. Wow. So we need to be very clear that you're not going to get gun deaths to zero. It will not happen. Right. You can significantly reduce them through having more fathers in the home yes. by having more We'll watch more of this clip, but to respond to what he's already said, if you want to make guns like cars, I'm down to do that. That's what I want to do. The same uh, as extensive, if not more process to license someone, make sure that they have the proper training, understanding, um, and mental stability to have a weapon um, that can do so much damage. And they do this often. What 
cars kill a lot of people or people a lot of people die in car wrecks are you saying ban cars no they're heavily regulated for that reason and we've seen deaths uh by car decrease significantly as we've increased significantly regulation so yes let's do it but charlie kirk's not for that so don't be bringing up cars like that's some point because that's exactly what people on the side of common sense gun control are calling for implementing systems to make sure people can't just willy-nilly get so many guns and um uh, people who shouldn't have guns can get them and all of that continuing armed guards in front of schools yes. 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 We, we, we should have an honest and clear reductionist view of gun violence but we should oh and that point Who's saying we're going to get completely rid of gun violence? Uh, that's such a straw man uh, argument. People think we're, we can't, so that means we have to do nothing. We can't get rid of gun violence, so we have to do nothing, according to Charlie Kirk. But not have a utopian one. You will never live in a society when you have an armed citizenry and you won't have a single gun death. That is nonsense. It's drivel. But I, am, I, I, think, it's, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth to have a cost of, unfortunately, some gun deaths every single year so that we can have the Second Amendment to protect our other God-given rights. That is a prudent deal. It is rational. Nobody talks like this. They live in a complete alternate universe. So then how do you reduce? Very simple. People say, oh, Charlie, how do you stop school shootings? I don't know. How did we stop shootings at baseball games? Because we have armed guards outside of baseball games. That's why. How do we stop all the shootings at airports? We have armed guards outside of airports. How do we stop all the shootings at banks? We have armed guards outside of banks. There was just a shooting at a bank, so. And people are fully willing to have security on the campus of schools. Now, getting to the point when I hear some right-wingers talk about their ideal school situation where it feels like a prison is terrifying to go. I'm not on board with that, but having an armed security guard on campus, perfectly fine. And also that armed security guard, unless you have an army, is not going to be able to fend off someone, in many cases, walking up with a weapon of war. We saw in Uvalde, a team of police officers, countless officers, and they weren't willing to enter the room as they should have because of the weapon they were saying there's an ar-15 there's an ar-15 that the shooter had so yes let's have security let's have locked doors let's also not make the environment one that's terrifying to go to and as other countries do let's reasonably regulate firearms how do we stop all the shootings at gun shows notice there's not a lot of mass shootings at gun shows there's all these guns because everyone's armed. <laughs> My goodness. Just the laughing at the point of, quote, worth it. That's the words that Charlie Kirk has for dead kids. Worth it. Because he thinks that we need weapons of war because maybe he'll be able to have some Rambo moment against the government. It's not going to happen if in some situation very hypothetically we were you know experiencing a tyrannical government where 
we're going to have to go to war with them. They, if the military is on the side of that tyrannical government, they win. It's over. They have the military drones. They have the missiles. They have the, all the different things. We're not going to win with even your AR-15. And so to choose that because you like the idea of this hypothetical where you're some action figure over the lives of children, to me, is sick. And he is now out and out saying, we've seen a shift recently, and he's joining along with that shift within the right-wing spaces, the pro, um, I shouldn't say even pro-gun, you can be pro-gun and also pro-reason and want to reasonably regulate guns, not revoking your Second Amendment, but just reasonably regulating the guns. Um, and we've seen this shift, and you kept thinking, or at least I did, that eventually there would be a shift within the Republican ideology because it would just get too bad, and they would go, okay, we need, to, we need to change our view and just go ahead and regulate the guns. Yes, focus on these other areas and the guns. But we got the shift, just not in the direction I thought we were going to get it. And now... You have uh, Republican Representative Burchett saying, ah, you know, criminals are going to be criminals. There's nothing we can do about it. Talking about Congress saying um, there's nothing we're going to be able to do to address gun violence. Then Charlie Kirk there um, and countless others just saying, yeah, mm -hmm. no, no, we're not even going to do the whole we care, but we just think we need to figure out other ways to address gun violence. He's just saying. Yeah, maybe I'll do a little vague gesture towards armed guards, but we've seen that. And uh, we've seen how, as I said, a weapon of war can make that fact irrelevant. And uh, so then at the end of the day, his response is, yeah, it's worth it. Charlie Kirk, he's down with it. And as I said, to me, that's sick. And I don't want to hear one more time from anyone who holds that position that they get to demonize LGBTQ people in the name of protecting the kids or obsess over people expressing themselves, um, doing drag performance because they care about the kids. No, you don't. No, you don't. Not one single bit if it's worth it to you to watch them die. Well, what we saw in New York with the indictment of Trump in regard to the Stormy Daniels hush money uh, payment, maybe just the beginning, likely is just the beginning of his legal troubles, as I'm sure you're aware, and it could get much worse very soon for him. Before we dive into some reporting on this, something I've been talking about a good bit um, on my show, you can find that at Luke Beasley on YouTube, is while Trump should be held accountable wherever he has violated the law, including the Stormy Daniels case, it's unfortunate that the Stormy Daniels case, being the less significant one, came first when we have as we're about to talk about, a case where he could be held accountable for attempting to overturn a free and fair election, pressuring ele uh, election officials, the Brad Raffensperger call, all those things. And that being one of the cases he's involved in, one of the things he's being investigated for, makes the Stormy Daniels case seem less significant. And so the fact that it came first is unfortunate, but we could be seeing the more important one, significant, with huge ramifications also coming very soon. Take a look at this from the Washington Post. Donald Trump's appearance in a Manhattan courtroom Tuesday marked a singular moment in American history. The first time a former or sitting U.S. president has been indicted on criminal charges. But Trump's legal peril is far 
from over. Among those closely watching the proceedings were state and local officials in Georgia, where Fulton County District Attorney Fannie T. Willis is expected to announce in coming weeks whether she will file charges in connection to efforts by Trump and his allies to overturn the state's 2020 presidential election results. Expected to announce in the coming weeks. And we saw the media tour that the grand jury uh, four-person did. That was strange, but it did reveal, at least in the eyes of the grand jury, likely charges, uh, indictments were recommended. Um, and if Fannie Willis follows in that path, we could be seeing charges very soon in regard to what I see as the most important thing Trump is being investigated for. If you somehow have forgotten what this is all in reference to or one of the elements of this investigation here was the infamous Georgia call, or at least a part of it. All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes. So tell me, Brad, what are we going to do? We won the election, and it's not fair to take it away from us like this. And it's going to be very costly in many ways. And I think you have to say that you're going to re-examine it. We have to stand by our numbers. We believe our numbers are right. Georgia has now... All I want to do is find 11,780 votes. I've heard that so many times now. Um, but every single time I hear it, I cannot process that that actually happened and all that was surrounding that. It wasn't just him calling, trying to get Brad Raffensperger to throw out the election results and find 11,780 votes that didn't exist and proclaim him the winner. It was also him coming up with this alternate elector scheme, having a vice president at the time, Mike Pence, reject the actual electors, pretend fake electors were the real ones, and install Trump the president, throw us into a constitutional crisis, a coup. Uh, a non-military coup was being attempted there. Luckily, it didn't work, but he absolutely needs to be held accountable. And then a little bit here from Yahoo News. While Tuesday's arraignment of former President Donald Trump marked the first time a former U.S. president has uh, had ever been charged with criminal offenses, it likely won't be the last. By summer's end, Trump could be charged in no fewer than four separate criminal investigations. <laughs> oh, goodness. In fact, while Trump's indictment stemming from his $130,000 hush, hush money payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels represents a legal threat to the former president, the others may carry a greater risk of serious consequences, including a possible prison sentence. As most people recognize, it's hard to picture Trump being sent to prison, especially for the Stormy Daniels case. But if we're going to see that happen, or at least him get house arrest, um, then I do think it'll come from one of the other cases. And of course, you have the federal investigation to his mishandling and obstruction in regard to the documents, classified documents. You have the federal investigation to January 6th and his attempts to overturn the election. You have the Georgia investigation to his attempts to overturn the election. And then you have the Manhattan District Attorney's uh, investigation of the Stormy Daniels hush money payment. So a lot going on there uh, for Trump. We have much more on the other side of this break. 
Plastic, it's everywhere we look and not enough is being done about it. One hundred billion plastic bags are used and thrown away every year. Here's something super simple you can do to reduce plastic and help the planet a little bit. Our sponsor, Hold On Bags, is the company making plastic free trash bags and zip seal kitchen bags. They're just as strong and high quality as the plastic bags you're used to. Hold On Bags are 100 percent plant based and home compostable, meaning they break down in just weeks, not decades. Their zip seal kitchen bags come in sandwich or gallon size to fit all of your needs, whether it's carrots or crayons at home. I put all of my food waste in a hold on trash bag, throw it in the compost pile. And when I throw a hold on trash bag in my dumpster, I love knowing it's not filling our landfills and oceans with plastic. Single use plastics harm the planet at every stage, production, disposal, decomposition. Join the growing movement away from single use plastic. These products are really great. It's so easy to make the switch. Go to holdonbags.com slash Pacman and you'll get 20 percent off with code Pacman at checkout. That's H O L D O N B A G S dot com slash Pacman code Pacman saves you 20 percent. The info is in the podcast notes. Fox News is in somewhat of a panic in the wake of the Wisconsin Supreme Court election results that once again highlighted the strength and passion uh, behind abortion rights, democracy and other crucial issues and how the Republican stance on those things, the actions they've been taking is just not popular, especially as um, will be talked about here, the younger generations get more active in politics. And there's different approaches. I'll show you a couple here. Some just recognizing how these issues directly have impacted election results. And um, I've seen kind of here and there calls for Republicans to moderate themselves. Otherwise, they're going to keep losing. But some do what I'm about to show you here uh, with Kellyanne Conway, what she's doing, which is come up with a rather incoherent and cope, copy way uh, to deal with the fact that the modern conservative ideology just isn't popular with the majority of Americans. And that's why we saw the underwhelming midterm results. That's why we saw, um, and especially because the Republican Party is being driven by this MAGA ideology and the radical stances on things like abortion rights. Um, that's why we've seen when abortion rights are on the ballot, or when they're directly tied to a candidate, abortion rights prevail. Um, as I said, the Wisconsin election results and others. And this is how Kellyanne Conway uh, synthesized this reality. So we can't be beaten um, on this policy-wise. I think we've already won the policy arguments on the economy, on education, on a number of issues. I think we've got some work to do on the young people who think um, differently on abortion, perhaps, or guns or climate change. But even there, the Democrats' messages are usually cynical. The place I'm really the thing I'm really concerned about. Mm, so cynical. Let's protect women's rights. Out with this, Laura, is that the left becomes a turnout machine with young people because influencers have this domino effect, lemming-like effect of people just all them wanting to be part of the same crowd. And if they succeed in that way, uh, we're not doing a great job competing for ballots. We're just competing for votes. Our candidates lost the early voting 
miserably last time. I mean, someone like Dr. Oz lost the early vote to John Fetterman by over four to one. So we need to compete for ballots, not just voters and not just minds. And I think they're trying right. to do that with these influencers. Uh, I have faith in the American people. I well, think they'll catch on to this and say, I want a policy argument. Well, Kellyanne, uh, I think you raise an excellent point, though. And, and it seems like the Republicans are always playing catch up, even though it's obvious what happened last time with the early voting. And you know all these folks who run the RNC and other, you know, other, I guess, Republican outlets that are supposed to be getting this right this time. What are they doing? Are they, you know, getting their own ballot harvesting operation going where it's legal? Are they, you know, lining up their own channels for early voting? Is that going to happen this time? Do you have confidence in that? So they're trying to make this absurd distinction between, uh, and we'll get to another clip here from Fox, but between ballots and votes, and they're saying Democrats go and they harvest ballots and they win through the ballot game. And we were just focusing on votes and nuanced policy discussions. Um, I haven't seen policy coming, significant, nuanced, uh, meaningful policy conversations coming from Republicans, at least the driving core of the Republican Party being MAGA in a very long time, maybe ever when it comes to that particular movement. Um, but there's this perception that the increased votes or the success in different elections and this is slightly different than this. It's different than the stolen election conspiracy theory, but it kind of is a child of that where there's something malicious and mysterious going on with the Democratic Party. And that's why more young voters are supporting them or that's why they were successful in these states um, in this election or that election. Or that's why abortion rights are impacting elections so significantly. That's why people care about democracy, all that. And it's just not true. It's not a ballots versus votes. Ballots are the ways the way that we vote, and uh, more people just vote in favor of some of these democratic policies in a lot of situations, especially younger voters. But even they try to craft this narrative um, that it's just the Gen Z that Republicans are unpopular with, which they are very unpopular with. Gen Z, but the radical stances on abortion, gun control, democracy, with the attempts to overturn the election results, um, and others are unpopular with the majority of just America generally. And still, Gen Z is a very small portion of the voting population. So it's mostly not Gen Z. And still, you're very unpopular um, and find ways to eke out victories, of course, and still have a lot of power, but generally the ideology is just not something people can get behind and it's not going to consistently be supported, um, especially as I said, the younger generations get more involved in politics. And so for Kellyanne Conway, it's let's ballot harvest. You can only be successful in ballot har harvesting, which is just getting a third party to take someone's ballot uh, to the polling place. So if it's an elderly person, they can have a family member or something, take that ballot to the polling place for them. Um, but it's only successful if you actually have people to fill out the ballot who are real <laughs> voters who actually want to support the Republican Party. And that's your issue for sure. Next moment here, 
responding to these results. Check that out. Brett, you followed these results in Wisconsin. Um, <clears throat> interesting. Here's what we found for the yeah. Gen Z vote into 2020 midterms. They won 77-21 for Democrats. And now there's this, you know, this, it's, it's not a five alarm fire, but it's a concern among Republicans as to how they get young people to vote for them, especially with the issue of abortion, uh, more or less on the ballots in so many different state races. Uh, this is what Kellyanne Conway told it's, us just last hour here. And there's more Kellyanne Conway, but I have an idea. It's going to be, it's going to sound a little goofy, a little strange. And I'm not normally giving strategic advice to Republicans, but I'm going to do it here. You can take it or leave it. My wild idea for not alienating certain voting populations on the issue of abortion is to have a less radical view on abortion. That would be my advice to the Republican Party. Um, but definitely interesting to see different ways in which he's being more authentic and recognizing just the Republicans have a stance that isn't um, popular among so many populations, while Kellyanne Conway is saying it's a ballot versus votes game. And um, we will continue to watch it all move forward. Make sure you're subscribed to me on YouTube, at Luke Beasley. Ron DeSantis has put himself in somewhat of a pickle, a conundrum, a difficult situation. And I want to talk about that now. Uh, he, because he got prominent being the culture war guy, the woke, 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 CRT guy, anti-woke, woke, woke, I should say, CRT guy, um, Florida's where woke goes to die. You know who I'm talking about, that Ron DeSantis. He became a big conversation item for running for president, possibly challenging Trump in the 2024 presidential primary and he leaned into it and he's made clear with all of his actions his tour and all that that it's something he's planning on doing but now it's seeming like not a great idea um, and I want to show you before we discuss further Sarah Longwell um, on MSNBC talking about how he kind of now is forced to go ahead and just run but and we'll discuss this more in a second it's not really a it's not a good time for him to run, but he kind of has to, which is fascinating. What do you think the chances are DeSantis decides not to run? Oh, I don't think he can decide at this point not to run. He's effectively already in the race. This really uh, is his moment. Yes, he's a young guy, but if he, you know, he's positioned himself really as a fighter. And if he bows out of this particular fight, he will never uh, get that reputation back. And the fact is right now, there is a big chunk of the party. You know, I do focus groups every week uh, with Trump voters. There's a big chunk of the party that is DeSantis curious and that wants to move on from Donald Trump. But Ron DeSantis is gonna have to figure out you know, who he's playing to in this primary. He's sort of decided for some reason that he's trying to out-Trump Trump with the base. Um, and I think that's a mistake. I think he should be trying to consolidate um, these sort of move on from Trump voters and trying to to really, you know, uh, yeah, build relationships with them and build a broad enough coalition uh, that he can start getting these numbers back. And he can't do this thing where he decides to be sort of a, a supporting player in the drama around Donald Trump's indictment, uh, where he's now out there defending Trump. He's going to have to figure out a different strategy than that if he wants to be effective. Yeah, so what makes it hard for him to not run now is number one, as you noted, if he's branding himself as this fighter and uh, all of that, but then he gets scared away by Trump, 
and it, it was obviously uh, it was obviously was going to run, but then he decides not to, and it's clear why. That doesn't look great. But more importantly, he's already taking the political attacks and the damage from Trump because Trump identifies him as a challenger and an enemy, and so he's getting the negatives of being attacked by Trump, but not the possible benefit of being successful in a primary. But then if he does end up running, now that the indictment has happened, and as she was talking about, he is being a supportive character in his story and his indictment and all of that, there's no way a kind of, I'm sort of the Trump without baggage and I can out Trump Trump on vaccines. Maybe I can be more anti-vax than him and more anti-woke than him, but also I'm supportive of his dishonest narratives and all these just different areas, including the indictment. Um, that's not going to work when Trump's one of the candidates. Being a Trump 2.0, when Trump's one of the candidates and they can just pick the original, is definitely not a successful strategy. Now, would it work for anyone to try to consolidate the non-Trump vote? I don't know. Is there enough anti-Trump vote within the Republican Party to even make that possible? Or enough anti-plus people who like Trump but want to move on from him because a younger generation or someone without baggage? I don't think so. I think the majority of the GOP is still on Trump's side, but that probably would be a better strategy than just, hey, I'm like him, but a little better, a little younger, and a little less baggage. Um, and <laughs> the attacks keep coming from Trump here on True Social. Ron DeSantis is a young man who is not doing well against me in the polls. That is true. Uh, DeSantis is doing much worse these days, to put it mildly. I believe that if he decides to run for president, which will only hurt and somewhat divide the Republican Party, he will lose the cherished and massive MAGA vote and never be able to successfully run for office again. If he remains governor, which is what Florida voters assumed, it would be a whole different story. Just saying, but who knows? <laughs> he has such different moods on True Social. It's either, ah, oh, Ron Sanders is the worst and maybe he was a groomer, look at this photo, or just a thought, you know, Maybe he shouldn't run, but you do you. <laughs> but the uh, Trump versus DeSantis saga is one I've been definitely enjoying watching, and we will continue to watch it. Good habits have to be sustainable, something you'll actually stick to. I start my mornings with a scoop of AG1 by our sponsor, Athletic Greens, because it's just so simple. One scoop of AG1 gives me the entire day's worth of 75 high quality vitamins and minerals from whole food sources. Half of Americans are deficient in vitamin A, C and magnesium. Taking that scoop of AG1 makes sure that I'm getting the nutrients I want without fumbling with different capsules and dosages and all of these things. AG1 is also way more cost effective than buying all of those different vitamins. I drink AG1 straight with water because I like the taste, but you could put it in a smoothie, a juice, a protein shake. I would not promote bogus supplements making crazy claims. There's no crazy claims here. AG1 is just a simple product. It does what it says it does. It helps me get what I want to get every day. And when you go to athleticgreens.com slash Pacman, you will get a free year supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs of AG one. 
I've talked about vitamin D before. That's athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Governor of California Gavin Newsom did an interview on MSNBC with Jen Psaki. And I want to take a look at two moments from this. The first, he just very accurately uh, diagnoses and raises alarm about the moment that we're in in this country um, where rights are being rolled back and people are being targeted in some terrifying ways. Take a look at this and then we'll discuss. Also, don't get what's going on in this country. I don't get why everybody's not doing what we're doing. I don't understand it. Do people understand? It's not just about Mar-a-Lago. It's not just about what's happening in Washington, D.C. or what's happening in the New York court with the district attorney. There's something deep and, and serious that's happening across this country. All the progress the last half century is being rolled back in these states in real time. In just the last few years, I don't think people fully understand the rights regression individual liberties on civil rights, on voting rights, on the gerrymandering that's happening out here, on just the assault on the African-American community, the assault on the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans community. The number one issue of the day it seems to be getting rid of the word Latinx in Arkansas, and number two, getting rid of drag shows. It's a serious moment in American history, and yet we're so consumed respectfully by the spectacles in Washington that I, as an American, feel compelled as a governor to call that out and expose some of that in a more systemic way. And forgive me for being intense about this, but everything I have taken for granted in my life in the last half century in terms of rights expansion, I didn't even bring up abortion and contraception, all of that, all of that is in peril at this moment. And my kids, they need, if I care about my kids, I sure as hell better care about what's going on in Alabama what's going on in Mississippi and Arkansas. And you know what? I'm coming back a much better governor because I spent a long weekend with my kids here. I do want to. He took a trip uh, to Arkansas. But uh, it's absolutely right. Because of the almost reality TV nature, wild drama um, that is American politics right now, it can be easy to get distracted from some of the significant ways in which damaging actions are being taken by the Republican Party and um, by this modern right wing that is driving the Republican Party. And I think Gavin Newsom better than a lot of those within the, uh, within the Democratic Party is able to call attention to that in uh, a tone that matches the moment. I think we see a lot of Democrats um, who maybe they realize the moment that we're in and maybe they try to call attention to it, but it just doesn't match in a tone, in rhetoric, the way uh, that it should the moment that we're in. And that's what Gavin Newsom does very effectively because it's scary. Abortion rights being targeted, even though clearly America is not on board with that, with the way that we are voting um as he noted the lgbtq community the refusal to address problems such as gun violence and racial inequality and income inequality and on and on it goes it just is so enraging that that's what we're dealing with but it is and we can't let the mar-a-lago debacles those are important too and 
uh, Trump's legal troubles distract from the significant things that also have to be focused on. Um, next moment from this interview here. It sickens me in my court, I'll tell you, um, and you would have more insight than anybody, so you can validate. Um, what happened in Tennessee triggered this trip. Just triggered. I, 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 can't, I, I called the White House, full disclosure. Um, I said, I, I can't take it. I can't. I got four young. I can't. I was given speeches, the same speech you've seen every politician give, in Monterey Park, down in Salinas. I gave it prior down in Gilroy. Gave him when I was mayor. We see the dance. Baldy. I mean, I, I can't. I just can't take it. I can't take it. And then to see the same governors, these talk about mental health, you know, unique apparently in America. Uh, to talk about, you know, our parents and our family. I mean, all the BS. And then they claim to care about life when the number one cause of death for our children is guns. Shameful. They're shameful. And it should shock our souls, but it's becoming so normalized. It's a matter of hours now, not even days. I mean, I thought we would never move on from Parkland or never move on from Uvalde, never move on from Buffalo. I had to read the manifesto. I read the manifesto from the shooter in Buffalo. I still have chills thinking about that manifesto to understand this. This is serious. The manifesto allegedly for the shooter in Tennessee, all connected, this broader contagion. They don't care about our kids because if they did, they'd ban these damn weapons of war. They would have background checks. They require some common damn sense. They don't. So you know what those kids that were there in the Capitol? God bless every single one of them. Uh, we've talked a good bit about this uh, subject on today's show, but I just don't know how else to say it. It's so true what he's saying that if you're going to say you're the party of protecting the kids, as the GOP has been saying, and then turn around and side with your distorted, this distorted and inaccurate and correct view of what the Second Amendment means, that it means you can't regulate at all uh, firearms over the lives of children and people of all ages, but because they say they want to protect the kids. You're not being honest. You don't. That's not an authentic motivation for the things that you're doing. It feels nice to say whenever it, it comes time for you to demonize LGBTQ people. But no, it's not an authentic ambition to protect the kids because you would start, if you cared about that, you would start with the leading cause of death for children, no doubt. And so to choose, again, the incorrect interpretation that has been created of the Second Amendment over the lives of our children highlights better than anything else, more accurately than anything else, the dishonesty of that whole narrative. And it's sickening to watch day after day. We just got news of another mass shooting in Louisville. Five people dead. And they're at schools, but they're also all over the place. This one's at, at a bank. Um, and there are lives being lost and also the terror that is um, injected into just the lives of people when they know this could happen anywhere at any time. And all of that is not necessary. It really is not necessary. Nothing makes that more clear than the fact that we're the only country 
that experiences when we compare ourselves to other developed countries, this type of gun violence, these numbers in terms of mass shootings. And to think that's just a coincidence and the reason why other countries don't see this gun violence is just because they don't have problems with mental health for some magical reason. No. It is clear what needs to be done and it's not being done. It's being blocked from being done by so many within the Republican Party. Failed gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake and uh, bonkers election denier <laughs> is clearly planning to run for Senate or it's very likely that she's going to run for Senate in Arizona. Um, I have a moment from a recent interview for you here where she gets asked about her 2024 plans and we've seen her showing up in Iowa. So some people are thinking, is she wanting to be Trump's vice presidential running mate, which I'm sure she would want that as well. But it does seem her eyes are set on a Senate run. Um, take a look at this. Softball question. Wow. <laughs> you thought it was going to be easy. I thought it was. Okay. We're friends. <clears throat> well, then I'll just be really honest Which with you. Which one do you want to tackle, the Senate um, or the VP one first? Let's hit them both head on. Okay. Um, obviously, my case is, is the most important thing. Of course. But you're asking if things don't go well, if right. the judicial system is much more corrupt than we, than we think it is, what happens? Yeah. I am seriously considering a run for Senate. Yes, absolutely. Because... Just because they sold an election, we're so dangerous to them. I'm so dangerous to the status quo in this rotten swamp that they're willing to steal the election to stop me and our movement. I'm not letting them get away with that. We're not going away. And so you're dangerous to democracy, uh, not dangerous to the status quo and kind of the good way of mixing things up and improving it. We'll watch a little bit more from this, but uh, there when politicians say I'm seriously considering it, that means it's definitely happening. Because normally the answer is, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm focused on only this. I'm not even thinking about that. And still they likely are considering it. If you say I'm really seriously considering it, that's definitely uh, the plan that you're working on. And again, she's also uh, been seemingly auditioning to be Trump's vice presidential running mate. So maybe she's waiting to see how that's going to work out. But the bad part about this um and we'll talk about another important angle on this after the second clip i'm going to show you but uh first is because kirsten cinema seems to also be running for re-election as an independent but is still left of center and ruben gallegos in the race if carrie lake does get into the race or another republican but especially someone as dangerous as carrie lake just with her uh election denying and conspiracy theories and all that she'll have a better shot because of the independent democratic split situation in my mind and how that could mix things up. Um, so it'll definitely be something we watch closely, but continuing with this interview. I am seriously considering a run for Senate. All the polling shows that I would win, not just the primary, the polling is showing I would beat both Kirsten Cinema and this socialist guy that's running. Oh, the other Democrat, Democrat that's jumping Gallego, in, right? Gallego, yeah. And so, but are um, you worried though, Kerry? Because we know, and it depends on the poll that you look at. Uh, Ruben Gallego has been leading both Kerry Lake and Christian Cinema in polling recently. <sighs> the voter rolls are corrupt. 
We know that these mail-in ballots can be corrupted. All these issues with Maricopa County specifically, and obviously if you run for that Senate seat just like gubernatorial, that's the entire state, not like a congressional district of only 700,000 folks. You're running for the whole state. How do we guarantee, do we have new stuff in place? Will you have well, new poll watchers so to this, make sure it's not screwed? This again? is why I'm fighting it right now. I want to... I want to get our elections straightened out, and I want them to be honest. And that's why I'm fighting it so hard right now. We'll take it to the Supreme Court if we... Okay. And then she's talking about her election lawsuit, but that is representative of this strange, logical, uh, you know, the the gymnastics that has to be done mentally for supporters of people like Trump and Carrie Lake. Because now uh, Trump is, and Carrie Lake may soon be, running another campaign and convincing their followers that yeah as i keep saying the last election was stolen and nothing significantly has changed within my conspiracy theory about what is going on all the corruption but i could win this one in the case of trump the dominion voting system flipping thousands and thousands of votes from trump to biden but that's not going to happen in 2024. i don't understand as a follower how you don't just disengage and not understand uh, how your vote's going to make a difference if the Democrats have this big conspiracy where they can steal elections, as uh, Kerry Lake says and Trump says. But the other um, notable part about a possible 2024 uh, Kerry Lake Senate run is how the election denying will play into that. Because um, for the general electorate. Obviously, I just talked about how it plays into her own voters thinking it was stolen, but also thinking she could win it this one. But then how it plays into uh, her ability to win the general election, because we saw that not work in 2022. Now, as I said, with the unique landscape with the independent, that can mix things up. But generally, the midterms definitely highlighted this. Um, the American electorate wholesale is not on board with uh, the election denying. And so for her to lean into that so much and for her 2024 campaign to be similar to Trump's, which is, hey, I lost that last election, but I don't think that I did, is a strange strategy. And it really is, as you can tell in every interview she does and all of her uh, public statements, it's what she's obsessed with. She can't accept that she just lost, so she has to have, have, like Trump, the conspiracy theories. And so when that's a part of a campaign, I, I just don't see how that works. It could, unfortunately. But reasonably, I don't see how that could work to say, I should be elected because I falsely believe I lost the last, or I, I actually won the last time when I lost. Um, but that's the moment that we're in, in American politics. Make sure... Uh, you are subscribed to the David Pakman Show YouTube channel and my YouTube channel at Luke Beasley on YouTube. So great uh, guest hosting today. Much love to you all. I'll see you soon.